I'll add my welcome and thank you all for being here this morning. It's good to see so many on this Lord's Day, and it's a wonderful blessing that we have to be able to come and assemble in the presence of our God and to give him the glory and, and honor he so richly deserves. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for our visitors who have come our way. We appreciate you being here as well. This morning I want to talk about, essentially, the idea of returning to the Lord. And the subtitle there is, is the, the news of the day. That is perspective amidst, amidst panic. We have a lot going on in our world right now. We have a lot going on in our country. We have, uh, we are in the midst of, um, uh, I guess what's called a worldwide pandemic of, of a virus that has begun in China and has made its way all around the world and even into our country. And this morning I want to talk about that. I want to talk about, um, essentially and most importantly, how it affects us as Christians. Let me say from the outset, this is not meant to be a critique or a criticism of the way people are handling it in their own lives, uh, just as we would with any other uh, virus and disease. We, we need to take precautions and necessary precautions and do the right things to protect ourselves, and we're going to talk about that here in just a moment, and we have a biblical principle for doing such. In that we need to make the necessary precautions and whatever is necessary in our lives, especially older folks and younger folks who are more susceptible to these things, the people who are compromised in their health otherwise, this is not at all meant to be a criticism of that. We need to do what's prudent and do what's right to protect our health and do what's necessary for our family and those around us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. But I hope what we'll see this morning is we need to have a little perspective on it. We need to make sure that as these things come along in life, that we handle them in the correct manner, as God would have us to handle them. And that is what it boils down to is, is, is our faith, having faith in the God that we serve and being assured of that faith. So let's, get a, let's gain a little perspective this morning on events of the day. So let's start off by asking this question. Why should the Christian panic? You know, there's lots of panic around us. Not only this, but other things that come our way as well. And back in the 50s and 60s, there was a, the panic of World War III. And rightly so. Our nations were, were at war, or at, at, at odds with each other, and we had the capacity of killing a lot of people between ourselves, the United States, and the Soviet Union. And so there was panic, and, and understandably, with all that much firepower and the, the ability to, to wipe out large chunks of human population. Now, we've, over the years, we've dealt with other things and other wars and other things that have come along and, and diseases and viruses and all those things. But it's just one of those things that's kind of comes along with being human, that these things happen. So should the Christian panic when these things come along? Let me start again by saying this, that we need to be talking about precaution and not panic. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, we use this uh, as a somewhat of a catch-all, and, and rightly so, as to how we ought to treat our bodies. Paul says there that, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, 
uh, whom you have from God, and two, and then two are not your own. If we if we think about our bodies in that in those terms, it does give us some good perspective there, doesn't it? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, "For you have been bought with a price; therefore, glorify God in your body." What are we doing to our to maintain and to and to be healthy in our bodies? To make sure that we're providing the best temple we can for the Holy Spirit. That's a good principle. Obviously, that's biblical. We need to make sure that we are taking care of our bodies, that we're taking the necessary precautions that we should during this time and other times. We have cold and flu season, we talk about a lot. We talk about wiping our hands and keeping a distance from people and all those things, and that's precautionary and that's absolutely fine. We want to protect our bodies. We want to make sure that we are doing uh, what's necessary to, to, to glorify God in our bodies. And so that's the right way to go. That's precaution, and that's not panic. Also, to gain a little perspective on this as well, uh, in Philippians uh, 1, go over there with me, Philippians 1. Paul can give us some good perspective on this. Paul had some things figured out in his life. He, 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 down to this point right here, which I think is, fits in well with what we're talking about, down to the point where he was ready to die. He says there in Philippians 1, verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now you, see, you see how Paul has, has, has synthesized this down to, I win, I win. Not I win, I lose, but I win, I win. To me, to live is, is Christ, and what he'll go on to say is that, if I live, I can, I can glorify Christ through the things that I do in this earth. He says there, verse 22, If I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed in both directions, having the desire to depart to be with Christ, for that is very much better. You see how this works? Paul says, if I'm, I'm, I'm here on earth, I've, I have the opportunity to work for Christ and to, and to be in service of the kingdom, and that's a wonderful thing. But if I die, I get to go be with the Lord. And that's all the more wonderful. Verse 24, yet to remain on in the flesh is far more necessary for your sake. And I'm convinced of this. I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy in the faith, so you may, you, that your proud confidence in me should abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Paul's saying, yeah, I can, I can live on and work on and, and glorify God in my body. But if I die, I get to be with the Lord. Doesn't that give us some perspective? It's great to live in this world and to serve God and have opportunities to serve him. But for the child of God to pass from this life and to go to glory, that's why we say go to glory. Anxiety and fear. We read there from Matthew chapter 6. Let's go over there and, and read a little bit more. Matthew 6, where Jesus is talking about the idea of, uh, of a child of God ought not to be anxious. Verse 25, as we read this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life, about what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on, what you're going to put in your body. We, we left there at verse 27, and which of you may be anxious can add a single cubit to his lifespan? If we're anxious, what, what is that going to do for us? Can we, can we extend our life by being anxious? No. We can extend our life by being precautionary and, and doing those things that protect the temple that is our body. But being anxious about it is not going to help. 
Verse 28, why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies in the field grow, they do not toil or spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. He talks about how God arrays the grass and how beautiful it is, but then the next day it's chopped down and thrown in the furnace. Verse 31, do not be anxious then saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you need in all these things. You know, Jesus is saying that the people of the world are anxious about these things. Don't be like them. The heavenly Father is going to take care of you. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that the best perspective that we can get? Coming from the lips of our Lord, don't be anxious for the things of this world. So what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear. Seek first the kingdom of God. Put God first in all things, and he'll take care of you. And I have some bad news we're all terminal. We're all going to die. I'm sorry to break that news to you here this morning, but it's true. Unless the Lord returns in our lifetime, we're all going to pass away. We're all terminal. James says it like this, James 4, beginning of verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go and do such to such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, you do not, do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. It's the same thing that Jesus was talking about a minute ago, right? You don't, know, don't worry about tomorrow. You don't know what your life's going to look like tomorrow. But look what he says there. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Now, I'm not here to, <laughs> to play down and, and tell us that our life is meaningless. It is not. Our lives are meaningful. Because as a child of God, we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of things to do to glorify him. The work that we do, the work with our hands and providing for ourselves and for our families and, and glorifying him in that way and then being able to help those who we come in contact with, to take care of our neighbor. I'm not saying life is meaningless at all, but there's a perspective here. James says it this way, that we're just a vapor. We're here for a little while and then we disappear. As a child of God, we do indeed go on to glory. Ecclesiastes, Solomon says it this way. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel of the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit, it will return to God who gave it. Some say that what Solomon's talking about there is about the, is a given analogy to the body breaking down about the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed, about the, how the body breaks down, and that's what he's referring to, and maybe so. I always think of seeing it as the, the city that is just decaying and falling down and going to ruin. But he says, remember him, what, before all that? Remember him before the decay starts, before the destruction starts. Remember him, because the last part there is true. The dust will go back to the earth where it came from, and the spirit will go back to God who gave it. Perspective. I have something else to tell us that's um, that the Ecclesiastes writer here, Solomon, says. 
throughout his writing that there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon, all those years ago, wrote about him searching for truth and him searching for the meaning of life. And he realized all those many years ago that nothing's really new. Man's the same since the beginning of man. It's always going to be the same. So let's ask ourselves a couple of questions. Do people heed the warning of their own mortality? I want us to look at a couple of examples. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6, this is the commissioning of Isaiah. Beginning in verse 8 there, it says, And I heard the, verse, vo the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, and that's Isaiah speaking, says, Here I am, send me. There's a little short sermon right here amidst this sermon, is the idea of being ready to go, being ready to be put into service by the Lord. When God asked, who, who shall I send? Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. That ought to be our attitude. But this is what the Lord tells Isaiah. He says, go and tell the people. Verse 9, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. It's kind of a strange message to go and speak, isn't it? Isaiah, you're going to go out there and tell them this, but they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to hear you. Verse 11, Isaiah says, well, how long? How long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. That kind of puts the things in perspective for us too as well, doesn't it? Isaiah says, how long do I have to, uh, to give this message? And, and God says, till all the cities are desolate. How long will the message of God go forward? How long will the good news go forward? It's going to survive all these things that beset us as humans. It's going to survive nuclear war. There's still people left on the earth. It's going to survive viruses and pandemics. It's going to survive wars. The message of the Lord, will, the, the gospel will continue to sound out as long as what? Verse 13, yet there will be a tenth portion in it. It will again be subject to burning like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is in the stump. What he's talking about there is there's always going to be a remnant. Cities may be desolate, may be laid bare. Thousands, millions of people may die. But unless the Lord returns, there's always going to be a remnant that will carry forth the message of God. So we can have some perspective in that and make sure that we're in that remnant. If our lives aren't taken, let's make sure we're in that spiritual remnant that will continue to carry forth the good news and carry forth the will of God. Or will it be that they return to the Lord? This is kind of the underlying theme of, of this message as well is What's God doing to bring people back to him? As we'll close in the message in a little bit, we're going to point out that God is in control of all these things. And maybe God does these things to get people to return to him. 
Maybe God is looking for people to come back to him or to come to him in the first place because they realize that our time on this earth is finite and that we are a vapor and that we need to look to those things that survive the body and that is the soul and where it will go with the death of the body. Go with me to Amos um, chapter 4. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. There it is. I have to do that sometimes. We're working on books of the Bible, right? Get them memorized. Amos 4, beginning of verse 6. Says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Listen to these. Listen for the refrain. And furthermore, I withheld the rain from you while there was still three months until harvest. Then I would send rain on one city and not on another city. And I would not send rain. One part would be rained on while the other part would would dry up. So two or three cities would stagger to another city to drink water but would not be satisfied, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I smote you with scorching wind and mildew, and the caterpillar was devouring your many gardens and vineyards, fig trees and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent a plague among you after the manner of Egypt. I slew your young men by the sword along with your captured horses, And I made the stench of your camp rise up to your nostrils, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand snatched from the blaze, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. All these things, they did not return to the Lord. Understand that God is in control. God is in control. Look in verse 12 here in Amos 4. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I shall do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. See, there's something coming, even more than this. Not only this, what Amos is prophesying in his time. Um, if you look back there in chapter 1, verse 1, he's prophesying during the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the king of Israel. He's prophesying about destruction, captivity, that will, that will beset God's own people. And God says, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And then look at verse 13. For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what are his thoughts and who makes dawn into darkness... And treads on the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. You see, God is in control. And God is going to be in control forever. Even though we might take things on ourselves and think that we might have control over things, we don't. We have control over our bodies. We can, make, we can be good stewards of them and do the right things, and absolutely we should. But God is in control. Let's not lose that perspective. God wants us to come to him. He wants us to make sure that we come back. He pleads for his people to return to him. Look over in Joel, which is right before Amos. Joel chapter 2. 
beginning in verse 12. It says, And even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. And rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. He knows whether he will not, ret- not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a libation for the Lord your God. Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants, let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests and the Lord's ministers weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and do not make thine inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they be among the peoples say, where is their God? There's some perspective there too, isn't there? Do we look around us and, say, and, and look in the midst of terrible things that, that fall upon us and fall upon the world and say, where is our God? Our God never leaves us. Because our God is in control. And his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. There's a lot that we understand about our God. He's given us quite a bit. There's also a lot that we can't know. We can't know what it's like to speak into, into existence everything in the, that we see around us. We can't know what it means to exist without time. We can't know what it, it means to, uh, to set in motion um, the life on this earth of mankind knowing that you're going to have to redeem man by putting to death your only son. We can't know all that. So let's not ask where our God is. He's here. He's in control. And he's always ready to receive us back. Go with me to the New Testament now in Luke chapter 15. The wonderful example here of the prodigal son. We know it well. Luke chapter 15, beginning of verse 11. We read about a certain man who had two sons, and the younger of them wanted his inheritance early. And so the father gave him his inheritance, and he went off and, and blew it through prodigal living. He blew it. He, he, he wasted, he squandered what his father had given him, so much so that he was feeding with the pigs. And he said... Verse 18, I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he had got to the point where I'm going to go back to my father and, 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 and understand that he can say I'm not his son anymore, but at least please hire me on so that I can at least feed myself. He got up and went towards his father. And as he was still a long way off there, verse 20, it says that his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandal on his feet and bring out the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. 
For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The message here in this parable, what Jesus is teaching, is that God the Father is always ready to receive back his children. We wander from him sometimes. We stray. We waste what we have been given. We waste the talents that have been given to us. We waste the blessings that God has given to us. Yet if we are contrite of heart, if we are repentant, we can come back. And the Father will be there with open arms and, and ready to hug and to kiss us and to prepare a feast and to celebrate our return. As he said, my son was dead and now is alive. What's lost has now been found. God's always ready to receive us back. So when the trials of our life, whether it's of a personal nature in our own lives, when we have the storms that come upon us or if they're actual storms that come upon us. We live in a part of the world where that's a reality. When those things come and go and test our faith and we fall from God, we fall from our faith, we fall from grace, we can still return. We can still come back. We can still return to that loving Father who will welcome us home with open arms and ready to celebrate that which is lost has been found. I want to leave you with this. Acts chapter 17. I get a lot of flack for coming to this passage a lot. It's okay. To me, it's one of the most crucial writings, I think, personally, however you want to categorize it. But Paul there is in Athens, and he goes up to the Areopagus, and he, he notices that they have an altar to an unknown God, and he begins to preach to them and tell them about the God that he serves. So he says, essentially, I, the God I serve, I know. It's not an unknown God. And he says, is the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. That's how he starts to tell them that all these altars that you have and these idols and all these things that you're worshiping and these, these great buildings, and God's not dwelling there because he doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. You think God needs anything from us? This God who's spoken to existence, the universe that we know, you think he needs anything from us? He asks of us. He wants things from us. He doesn't need them. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Do we really think that the, the God who has given us life and breath and all things, do you think we can give anything back to him that he needs? He's our creator. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times. and the boundaries of their habitation. He knows who's going to live and what civilization is going to rise and what's going to beset this group of people or this individual. He knows all that. He's determined all that. He's set all that in motion. He knows that you would seek God if perhaps they might find, uh, they might grope for him and find him though he's not far from each one of us. We'll come back to that in just a moment. 
Verse 28, for in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his children. In him we live and move and exist. Some translations say there, and have our being. In him we live and move and exist. Let's not take it upon ourselves or be so, uh, quite frankly, arrogant to think that we're going to live apart from God. He's our creator. He's in control of all these things. In him we live and move and exist. He has determined our habitation and the, and the, 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 um, the appointed times and, and the boundaries of our habitation. He's determined all that. So back there at verse 27, it says that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. We spoke earlier in the lesson about Perhaps God does the things that he does so that people will return to him. Perhaps he does things so that people will seek him out. The world in which we live, there, there are things that are, that are terrible. Wars and famine and disease and terrorism and murder and all those things that, that threaten our lives. But God wants us to come to him. He wants us to understand that he's not far from each one of us. And the events that take place in our lives, maybe they're there to give us that perspective. And see, you know what? My life is but a vapor. My time on this earth is finite. What am I doing with it? Should I be worried and anxious about food and clothing and what I'm going to eat? Or should I put God first? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. I say it privately and, and from this pulpit a lot. If you put God first in all things, you'll be blessed for it. And I truly believe that. Seek first the kingdom of God. Perhaps when we look around and see the, the troubles and the terrible things that are happening in the world... Maybe people are being brought to God as a result of it. And who are we to question God? I hope this has given you some perspective on our lives as Christians. There are things that are in this world that are terrible, that threaten our bodies, that threaten our lives. But let's have the right perspective on it. Let's put things in the proper context. Let's, let's understand that we need to be anxious for nothing. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's put God first in all things. Let's not be anxious for anything. Let's trust in God, our creator, who's made us in his own image and has already determined our times and where we'll live and, and the way we exist and how we have our being. Let's put our faith and our trust in that God, the God that we serve. If you're not a child of God and you're subject to the gospel invitation, we extend that now. God has made all this possible through his son, Jesus Christ, as I mentioned God knew that he would have to redeem man back from his sins, and he did so by sending his son to die for our sins. And we come in contact with that precious blood through baptism. 
submitting ourselves to the waters of baptism, being covered up and brought back to life, to walk in newness of life. Or if as a child of God you are anxious and need to have some relief in your anxiety, I would encourage you to pray to the, our, our Creator, our God, who's given us all these things. And put in perspective the life that we have on this earth and the life that awaits us when this life is over. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.